There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from over on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K or from my work over on TalkingChop.com where I've been the minor league editor for the past five seasons or so as well as the deputy site manager for the last couple seasons. Joining me are Gaurav Vidak and Matt Powers. Uh, Both guys have been working with me over Talking Chop for quite some time. You can follow Gaurav on Twitter at GVDAC. Or on the Braves Twitter, the Braves Reddit Twitter account, as well as Matt Powers at Matt Powers 31, uh, where you, we're all talking about baseball all the time. We're, it's a lot of minor league action, um, on all those feeds. So if you want to get your fix on a non-podcast outlet, I highly recommend following either of those two guys. Uh, how are you guys doing? Great. I got to see my first look at the four guys recently promoted to Gwinnett just this past week. So. I'm excited about that, and I'm no longer recording in a car like I was last week outside of a minor league game. Yeah, that one took a little bit more editing than usual just because the connection was so spotty. I mean, you were kind of, I mean, minor league stadiums aren't exactly known for being in, you know, particularly, you know, ex- nice and exclusive uh, locales, as it were. But, you know, we got, we, made, we made it work. Grav, man, we missed you, Matt, this week, man. How have you been? I've been well, man. Uh, super busy at work, but have some time with my family tonight, so I'm super looking forward to it. Yeah, we don't. We're not going to try to keep Garov too long. He's got some. He's got some family stuffs that he needs to take care of. But we wanted to make sure we got in a good bit of content for you guys, just to kind of go over a few things that have been happening, as well as uh, answering some mailbag questions. We actually really enjoy doing those because it's like a wide range of topics we generally get for those. Um, but first things first, uh, the the. One of the promotions that we've been clamoring for the most happened, uh, as well as one that kind of came out of nowhere and happened as well, uh, and they both involved the Rome Braves. Both Bryce Ball and Michael Harris got promoted to Rome. Uh, different reasons. I think Rome just kind of needed an outfielder uh, pretty badly, to put it bluntly, um, gi- given kind of some injuries and, you know, some, you know, how promotions have happened. So, but, and then in Bryce Ball's case, it's just been a long overdue promotion. He'd probably been promoted at least a month ago. But he's he's made it to Rome now that Griffin Benson went on the injured list. Uh, Matt, I'm gonna go to you first. What were your uh, initial thoughts on the, these promotions, and then kind of what do you think of them as we as it stands right now? Harris got promoted first, and he deserved it. But I'm a little surprised that they jumped him up and just skipped Danville with him. I mean, he's probably earned the chance to skip the uh, level of Danville and move up to Rome, but it's a little surprising that they just skip an entire level. I mean, that's what they did, what the Padres just did with C.J. Abrams, who was a top 10 pick in this draft. So that, for a high school player to be taken, play in the Arizona League or the Gulf Coast League, which are the exact equivalent, just different coasts, and move up to short season ball, 
and move past short season ball and move into full season ball, that's almost unheard of. I mean, sometimes you'll see them get to short season and have a little stay there before they might move to full season at the end, but to just skip that level the year of the draft is just incredible. I mean, Harris has been nothing short of amazing. The hit tool has been better than expected. The athleticism has played the way you'd hope, which includes the defense and the arm. He's hit for some power, but you're not going to get a ton of power considering he's just 18 right now and also making the adjustment to pro ball, but he was great. My first reaction when he got promoted is, really, they're going to promote somebody and they're not going to promote Bryce Ball? I mean, Bryce Ball has just destroyed the ball and needed that promotion probably a month and a half ago at this point. And what he did in Danville was just ridiculous. There was just no pitcher in that league who belonged in the same category as him. What he did there with an OPS well over 1,000, nearly at 1,100 with 13 homers in 41 games, 25 extra base hits and 145 at-bats, and strikeout rate at 30 strikeouts and 145 at-bats, including 22 walks, is under 20%. So you really can't ask for more. He walked almost as often as he struck out. So he also really deserved that promotion. It should have happened a while ago. But I think the Griffin Benson injury that just recently happened might have opened up that opportunity for him. So those are my thoughts. Gaurav, what about you, man? Yeah, I think uh, a few pods back, I, I pretty much explicitly say, stated that like I think the only reason Bryce Ball isn't in Rome is because of Griffin Benson. Now with Griffin Benson hurt, it was like, okay, we can finally move him over there. Uh, that being said, it seems like not only is he performing at a crazy level after the promotion, but again, he is a college bat in low in in a ball. So I don't expect him to have a 1.357 OPS or anything like that, but you kind of do expect him to perform well. Uh, maybe you can, you can kind of think that there'd be some wear and tear since this is the most games he's probably played ever. Uh, and to that, he's still performing at an elite level. Like that's, that's awesome. But it, you know, sucks for Griffin Benson for him to lose his, his spot like that. You know, you really wish him the best going forward and that he's able to make a full recovery because it's one of his best years as a professional. So if they can build off of that, uh, Michael Harris, yeah, I can't really add any, anything else to that. He was incredible down in Orlando, you do expect him to go to Danville. So the Braves must have seen something they really like to shoot him up towards Rome already. And while the results haven't been there, like I love the challenge. I love the challenge for an 18 year old. Like they must really like him. I, I really like him. I can't wait to watch him, you know, over the course of a full season. So congratulations to both. One was, you know, where where the heck was this a, a month ago? And one was a really nice, pleasant surprise. So uh, there are definitely going to be, you know, there are definitely going to be two players on our top 30 preseason list going forward uh, to, to next year. And it's going to be really fun watching them monitor or monitoring them as they progress in their professional careers because these are two, like, really dynamic bats. Yeah, um, and I'll say that both these guys are going to be healthily in the top 30. I mean, like, Bryce Ball just got in because we were, like, when we wrote our top 30 list, this was, like, fairly not long after the draft, you know, right at the All-Star break. And, you know, Ball had been performing well, but, you know, it's kind of, you have to kind of take things a little bit, just kind of take things a little bit easy at first just to kind of see what 
what we hear and what we're seeing and see if things are sustainable. Because, again, we've seen guys in rookie ball put up big-time numbers. I mean, Drew Lugbauer is a good example of a guy who put up big-time rookie numbers and then did not put up numbers in full-season ball at all, really. Um, you know, he obviously still has some power, but he doesn't. He hasn't been anywhere close to the same guy that he was when he was in Danville. And then you have – but what we've been hearing – has been really positive, uh, and we did get a couple questions as to kind of what we think about uh, Michael Harris and Bryce Ball, their time in Rome. Uh, in Michael Harris' case, he's only played in four games, and you know, despite being promoted before Bryce Ball was, and you know, only a three eighty eight OPS, you know, has a has a couple hits. He's a prep bat that getting promoted to full season ball that very rarely happens. I know that Matt mentioned C.J. Abrams, but generally speaking, that doesn't happen very often. So. In general, my thought process on draft year performances is that if they're really good, then great. But otherwise, I don't really worry about it just because there's just so much, like, you know, there's a lot of change in a guy's life and there's, you know, getting used to professional baseball. And, you know, it's at the end of it. They've already played one season. They're kind of having to play a second season. So I don't really put a, too much stock in, like, a bad draft year performance, if that makes any sense. But if I see a good one, then that certainly makes me feel good. Um and in Harris's case, he had a look. He had a nine, over 900 OPS down in the GCL. You know, was showing some power. It was like you know 11 extra base hits, and in a place where it's kind of tough to hit, get extra base hits, and you know, was just doing a lot of really good things down there. You know, you can you nitpick? You know, like you'd love to see a game walk more and things like that. Sure, you could say that, but I mean, you're not going to really. It's not worth nitpicking any guy, any guy that's right out of the prep ranks. You know, that was a day two pick and turns out and has all this athleticism. And all this promise before they really kind of get going in full season ball. So, you know, this is just a great opportunity for Harris in my mind, just to kind of get used to, you know, how full season pitchers are going to pitch to him, uh, kind of what their plans are, kind of what things look like, and then go into instructs, you know, whatever changes he needs to make, you know, learn, learn some things, get some quality instruction down there and then hit the ground running in 2020 where he could be a really interesting prospect. You know, what his ceiling is, I'm not a hundred percent sure. But I think it's it's substantial, and we're really a guy that he's a guy that we really like going forward. Um, despite being a, a third round pick, he's not the usual third round pick, and he's going to be a guy that's going to be on our radars for a while. Uh, as for Bryce Ball, I mean, you guys are right. He, he what he did in Danville was pretty insane. Um, and the thing is, those thirteen home runs, like he hasn't hit a home run in a while because he got. I think Matt was telling me about this. Like he had like an injury on a slide in the second where he like missed a few games, but. And he hasn't hit a home run since then, but all he does is keeps hitting anyway. And since he's gotten the Rome, he's played in three games, and he's batting 571 with a 1300 OPS. And again, that's, that, there's no home runs to his name right now, but he just keeps, he just hits, has a really patient approach at the plate. I've had multiple people, whether they be in the Danville, you know, from the kind of the Danville side of things or at Rome, that said that this guy looks special. That in batting practice, he puts on an absolute show, and that when he's on the field, he just, it seems like he's a special player and that he just impacts the ball every time he hits it, and there's a lot of things to like about him. I've heard, like, that there's a, within, like, between, you know, within the World Braves organization themselves, you know, there's some differing opinions as to kind of what he could end up being, but given the results, it's kind of hard not to be excited about him. You know, again, when you, we're talking about really small sample size and full season ball, but when you pair that to what he was doing in, in Danville as well, there's a lot to be excited about with him. And he's going to be a guy, I would imagine he's going to be a, a fairly significant jump in our rankings. Um, I do want to ask Matt really quick before we move off. Is he strictly first base only? Like, I, I just haven't seen him live. So is he like, you think he's strictly first base only? Is there any chance of being a corner guy or? 
Yeah, he's, I mean, listed at six foot six, 240 or so. I yeah, mean, a big dude. That's not the kind of guy that can hold up in the outfield. That's Aaron Judge with that, the athleticism that Aaron Judge has in addition to being that big dude. Yeah, that's that. That's a that's a that is a fair point. Um, I, we gotta get that. I got the question a lot this past week. Is kind of you know, you know, with Freddie Freeman. I mean, does that make him like trade bait and stuff like that? The thing about Bryce Paul that intrigues me the most, honestly, is that it's very likely in the next few years, in my mind, that the National League is gonna get the designated hitter. And this is like the perfect guy, if especially if he continues to hit, which is you know a big if. But if he can continue to hit, like this is the kind of the per- the perfect guy. Just the guy just knows how to mash baseballs. Um, I do know that next week on Rome's next home stand, I'm not exactly sure which game I'm going to yet. I may go to more than one. It kind of depends on what's going on with you know other things in my schedule and all that other stuff. But I'm gonna get some looks on this guy. I'm gonna get some video of him, and I want to really kind of break down kind of what he does well, what he doesn't, and I'll I'll feel better about like kind of jumping all in on the Bryce Ball train. But it's hard not to like what he's been doing, and he's a guy that is going to be a force to be reckoned with, certainly this year. And I imagine that, especially if he continues to form out Rome, that he might actually be pushed fairly quickly through the Brave system. Because, he, again, he, he he's already 21, and he's already a college guy. And if, he can, if he's just mashing at the lower levels, then there's no reason to keep him down here. And he's not really a guy that you want to bury in Florida either. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in A next season if he continues to hit this year. Um, before we get to the mailbag questions, I just want to first give Matt a chance to talk about uh, his notes from the Gwinnett because we had we had Christian Pache, Drew Waters, Ian Anderson, all those guys getting promoted to Gwinnett, and I just wanted to give you a chance to kind of share your thoughts from those games before we went on to the mailbag questions. So it was my first look at all four players. I missed uh, Waters by two days on our trip to Orlando back in 2017. It was a Saturday night around seven eight o'clock. I remember I was actually at a Pirates game. And we heard that Maiton and Waters got promoted to Danville Saturday night around 8 o'clock. And we arrived Monday afternoon for the game. So we missed by about 36 hours or so. So didn't get a chance to see Waters at any level at any point in his career, along with any of the other guys. So what I saw out of them, and there's going to be a full write-up that's coming on them on Talking Chop, but with Waters... He looks like the kind of guy that would perfectly slot in towards the top of the lineup, but he could also end up being that guy that fits in very well in that 5-6 hole in the lineup, offering just good contact, good power. He's going to strike out a bit, but in this day and age, that's pretty normal. He is going to play really strong defense in right field or possibly even left field with a good arm, good instincts, just a guy with plus tools all around. He doesn't really have a standout tool the way Pache does, but he's just a plus in everything. He doesn't really struggle in any specific area. I mean, that's how I graded him out pre-draft, and looking at him in person against the upper levels of the minors, it just plays. At one point during batting practice on Friday, he was not really hitting the ball all that well. He was hitting the ball, but it was just going somewhere. It wasn't really hard line drives. The hitting coach actually stopped, which is not something you see very frequently in a minor league batting practice. And he gave him some instruction for about 45 seconds. 
he made Waters take a couple swings. They were really half swing, half effort swings just to get the form of what he was being coached on, right? And after about three or four swings, he got three or four actual legitimate swings and with the new adjusted form that he was trying. And every time he hit the ball after that point is when he started to really hit the ball hard in that batting practice. Fast forward to the game that night, he had two hits, he had that home run, and he ended up having a good series in Scranton. So he it definitely goes to show how coachable he is with that 30, 45-second change, couple practice swings, then goes out, makes an adjustment, and just continues to drive the ball. I mean, he is every bit the prospect that he's made out to be, which you could really say for Christian Pache as well. I knew Pache was not a small guy, but when you actually see his size and you think about his athleticism, he is a very big dude. Like, he, his size, when you compare him to Waters, who's not a small guy by any means, but Pache looks bigger than that 6'2", 185. Like, he looks like he could maybe add a couple pounds and play linebacker in the SEC. He's got that kind of size and that kind of frame that he could add some weight and be a football player. And the power in his swing, at least especially in batting practice, is evident. He didn't have a ton of hits in that series. I think he had three for 12 with a walk in the series. But even when he wasn't actually getting hits, all he was doing was making hard contact. He just missed a home run. He just got it off the end of the bat instead of the barrel, and it nearly went out anyway. He lined one really hard that was right at the shortstop that possibly could have even gone for extra bases with his speed. But everything that Pache did was impressive. He robbed a home run when Ian Anderson was starting. He didn't catch the ball, but he brought back a two-run home run and ended up being an RBI double, so he saved a run clearly there. And everything that kid did is what you would make him out to be as a prospect. People that put him in the top ten in all of baseball in terms of prospect rankings are perfectly accurate at this point. He is that great of a prospect. There's no true weakness in his game other than you hope to see him keep on progressing with the in-game power and the ability to draw some more walks. I think the power's on its way. It's just a matter of him getting older, getting more physically mature and strong, and just turning that strength into power. And the walks, I think, will come. He did a decent job of actually taking pitches, looking at pitches, fouling some pitches off. So I'm not worried that the walk total, and it's better this year than it has been in the past, but I'm not really worried about the walk total anymore after watching him really work some counts and really take some pitches. Uh, Another guy who really impressed me was Ian Anderson, who had a rocky first start in AAA. But, of course, he didn't have much time to adjust to the AAA ball, so it's kind of hard to really ding him too much on that because the ball just moves differently. It grips differently. So a breaking ball is not going to break exactly the same in AA as it is in AAA at this point. And I think some of his command issues in that first start were probably because of that. What I saw was just absolute dominance over a first-place type team in the International League. 
He went six innings, gave up three hits. He had three walks, one run on that home run that was robbed and became an RBI double. The three walks would probably have been two, but one of them was to Terrence Gore, who stands in at about 5'5", 130 in realistic terms instead of just his listed height. So he doesn't really have much of a strike zone. Another one of the walks, he went down three out to start out and basically just gave up a freebie walk. So even though he had three walks, his command was a lot better than what the three walks say. The six strikeouts, he was great. I mean, the pitches, and I'm going to have a lot more information on the pitches. I have a lot of video up on my Twitter account of all of these guys. But if you want to check out the video, you can just check that out on Twitter. I'm going to be uploading a little bit more to YouTube just to make it easier to find videos. Uh, Braxton Davidson. Uh, Tucker Davidson. I, I, keep I was about to say, it. wow, burying yeah. the lead. Braxton <laughs> Davidson, AAA. Yeah, I keep getting them mixed up, and that's not the first. Those are very different. Those are very different people. Although the strikeout numbers are surprisingly similar. Actually, not really. I, I, I won't go into that any further. But uh, not really. Uh, I think he strikes me more as a number five starter, um, in terms of his ideal role. His fastball has plus velocity, but it doesn't have plus movement. And you really saw that against AAA hitters. There was just no swing and miss on that fastball. And I think he had four strikeouts on that game off the top of my head, but three of them were looking. So that just shows you what kind of swing and miss stuff he has. If he could add a little bit more spin to his fastball instead of it being such a straight pitch, because he was hitting 94, and he might have had a couple 95s in there. I had, And you could see his full velocity chart on my Twitter account. I have a picture of the full chart that I've taken on every pitch and every pitch's velocity. So, uh, really, he's more of a five-starter, but he won't be a five-starter in Atlanta just because there are so many better pitchers, more talented pitchers, that he... If he stays in Atlanta, his most likely role is probably middle relief. He doesn't really have the swing and miss stuff to be a back-end bullpen guy. So he's more of a middle relief ceiling to possibly even a long reliever, a guy who can just soak up a couple innings and just do a decent job. He's not going to strike out a ton of guys. He's going to pitch contact. That's kind of what you might want out of your long reliever. That kind of guy who can go two, three, four innings when needed. So those are my thoughts on the four guys that were recently promoted, and there will be a little bit more information on them on Talking Chop in the coming days. All right, man. I appreciate you kind of sharing the your little your scouting story from that from the, those sets of games that you went to watch, and we appreciate you. I mean, it's kind of nice that you. Know, I mean, we generally lament that you don't live in the state of Georgia, but. You know that in this particular case, when those promotions happened and they were headed to, to Scranton, it was kind of nice having you in the area so that we could get looks at them right away. I know that Garrett's planning on going to see Gwinnett soon. Uh, I'm gonna be heading to Rome here uh, very soon as well, and I'm sure and I'm sure Matt's gonna be going to games. And who knows, maybe we can get maybe we can you know prod Garov into getting some of those Gwinnett games too. So we're gonna be getting some more looks on these guys since they're so close. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and but before we kind of get into the mailbag questions, the first thing we want to do is just take a quick break so that we can listen to an ad. 
All right, guys, and we're back. Now we are at the fun part of the show, at least for me. I really like this part of the show when we do it, and that's our uh, listener mailbags. We, we always get a wide variety of questions, and you guys did not disappoint today as uh, at all. And uh, we got a lot, lot of topics to cover, and some of them are kind of, you know, like fun little brain, you know, brain exercises, I guess is the best way I know how to describe them. Um, and others are kind of more, you know, timely sorts of things. Uh, first, we have from Irwin. He asked, uh, after Anderson, Pache, and Waters, who are the next round of big-time prospects in the system that we've top five guys once those guys graduate? Gaurav, I'm going to go to you first. This is kind of a, a an awesome but kind of disappointing answer for me. Um, it's it's that draft class from this year. Uh, those are the next real wave of impact backs I can really see. You know, your your Michael Harris, um, Paolini, like all all of those, Bryce Ball. Like I don't really see too many real impact. I see position players that are capable of playing in the major leagues, but I don't, not necessarily like the high impact bat. Those are all the super young 18 year old prospects that we really don't know how they're going to play out. Uh, that's, that's the really unfortunate part. Uh, I see a big, uh, you, you're starting to see that big gap in, in, in talent because once we graduate Pache waters and them, you don't have those international signings, uh, starting to develop cause you know, of copy and all, and all that kind of stuff. You're seeing the the depth start to play, uh, start to have an issue. Uh, you gotta hope that the the likes of Langoliers, Shoemaker, you know the the uh, sorry sorry Matt. Uh, you have to hope the likes of those will will help fill in some of this depth that we're gonna start to see issues with. Uh, you're gonna see a whole lot more minor league free agents coming into the organization over the next couple of years, uh, filling in. Gwinnett's gonna be a quad A roster for quite some time, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it's it's. It's tough because it's tough because you don't want that to happen. You don't want to say the next real wave or eighteen year olds. That's based on my assessment, based on me going through all the players uh, in the organization. I, I think that that's the next wave. So, luckily, the Braves are set up uh, position player wise for quite some time, and we're gonna we can allow these players to continue to develop at a slower pace. But box scores and, and recaps for the next couple of years, at least position player wise, it's going to be a little, it's going to be a little tough. You're going to have a lot more of your Ryan Lamar's kind of leading box scores, I would say on a, on a higher end uh, of the uh, minors for the next, at least, at least one season. Matt, what about you, man? I think that's actually pretty easy. Once we lose Pache, Waters, Anderson, and you may as well throw Kyle Wright in there too. My top five are easily going to be Kyle Muller at one. I'm going to put William Contreras at two. Langoliers is probably three. After that, it gets a little bit more difficult. I want to put Yasiel in there. I think he would be there ahead of anyone else for me right now. And then after that, it might end up being Michael Harris. I think he's shown so much with the hit tool, I think it, if I was as confident as I was in the hit tool two months ago, three months ago, he probably would have had a first-round grade in the draft for me. But I wasn't confident that he was going to hit. I was I was sure about the athleticism. I was sure about the power. I was sure that he could pitch. But I wasn't sure that he was going to hit enough. And all he's done is hit. So I would be comfortable in moving him up to at least a second round grade right now, 
based on the hit tool. I'm not 100% sold on the hit tool just because it's a short sample size overall, but it's made such progress that he's at least a second round worthy pick if you were to redraft the draft today. So he's probably in that top five for me. Yeah, this is a tough question for me to answer for a few reasons because, I mean, because you have Anderson Pache and Waters, but there's also guys like Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson's in the kind of the same boat too, where these are guys that are like, at some point they're going to graduate. They're just, they're going to get a couple starts here and there. We just don't know when those starts are going to happen. Let's just assume that Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, plus the three guys that you mentioned, those guys all graduate in 2020. Matt's list is very close to what I would have. Um, I mean, Again, I'm not, I'm not even willing to sleep on the fact that Bryce Ball might, especially if he, if he starts off next season and he like mashes like 20 home runs in the first half or something like that, something crazy. Like it's, that's kind of impossible to ignore, especially if he does that at something like double A, where you have to kind of take into account that, that level of production and that level of surprise. But Michael Harrison is in that conversation. Vaughn Grissom's another guy that could be in that conversation. Uh, you know, it, I mean, Jesse L. De La Cruz is certainly a really exciting arm that we like a lot. I think Kyle Muller's at the head of the pitching class there. He, he's been down with an injury, which kind of, it makes it less likely that he kind of ends up jumping so quickly that he ends up graduating too, which makes him kind of, I think, the head of, the head of the class once we, we see this next crop moving up. I'm not, I'm not as sold as I think Rob is on that, the, that next year, the, like, you know, like minor league recaps are going to be a little bit dicey on the position player side, because I do think that a lot of these guys in the GCL and some from Danville, as well as a couple other guys let me, sprinkled. Let me clarify. I just meant the, the higher minors, like the double A AA and triple A. I don't, I don't think there's going to be too much high ceiling, uh, high ceiling position players located in those two. I think we're going to see a lot more of your minor league free agents, uh, Making up a majority of the roster, you still sprinkle in, you know, your 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 good prospects in both these teams. But I think a majority of the roster uh, construction is going to be uh, free agents. I mean, to be fair, the Gwinnett roster was mostly made up of yeah. those kinds of players and all year anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think it's something that's kind of weird that's going to happen. Um, and again, it'll pro- my guess is that it'll happen in 2020. Is that the system gets really young again? You know what I mean, and it and it certainly won't have the depth of pitching that it had. It, it just it just not that's just not going to mean that between the trades, uh, potentially some other offseason moves that could happen after this season, and just general attrition that we're going to see a lot of that depth on the pitching side is going to be gone. There's still there's certainly going to be some talent towards the top end with Muller and Jesse De La Cruz, and you know and to some extent Tucker Davidson. I, I think I'm more uh, bullish on that his ceiling's like a four to five on the rotation than Matt is, but you know, it's close, you know, like I, I, there's certainly an argument for it. And, but beyond that, like there is some drop off, you know, there are some guys who have interesting arms that could, you know, jump up, especially if Victor Vodnik is starting and he's, you know, doing what he can do. He hasn't looked particularly great since he's gotten back from the injured list. Uh, he's had a couple, a couple rough spots here and there. Uh, and Freddie Tarnock's another guy who's looked pretty good since he's gotten back from injury. You know, those are guys that like, if they may take a step forward, they could make things interesting, but, I think that the next round that we're talking about of like really exciting position prospect are the guys that, you know, Matt and Grov were talking about. But Matt's list of generally what that top five is going to look like, that seems pretty close to me. A lot of things can obviously change as to what the order of those guys are. But in general, what's going to be interesting to me is the J2 class next year because while the Braves couldn't sign anyone this year, 
their pool is only cut in half next year, which is not the same thing as like being banned from international signings. And I am curious as to what tactic the Braves are going to be taking to use that money. Are they going to go for quantity and just try to sign a bunch of guys and, you know, see if they can get some hits like, you know, the Acuna or Albies level, you know, signings or even like the the William Contreras level signings where you don't sign for very much money at all, but you just, you just take your chances on a bunch of lottery tickets or do they go after a couple, like two or three blue chip guys and really kind of sit on them and say, these are going to be the next guys that we're going to try to incorporate in our system. I don't really know what they're going to do, and it's it's kind of hard to even tell how much of an infrastructure they have on their international side in terms of scouting right now. With all the between the you know people getting kicked out of the uh, out of all together from the from the punishments to the kind of the reorganization of the scouting department, what's going to happen and how they're going to go about using the money that they are going to have is going to be something I'm going to watch because that can change things pretty quickly, particularly on the lower minor side where you have to all of a sudden you have like a couple high ceiling but really far away guys. And how good those players could be could influence a top five or a top ten. It just kind of depends as to, you know, ultimately how, how highly thought of and how interesting those players are. And I actually haven't looked at the J2 class too much for next year. So it's something I'm going to kind of start digging into kind of once the season's over probably, but something that I'm keeping an eye on. Um, Robert asked, with the rising outfield talent, do you see the Braves trading or not re- slash not re-signing Duvall or Inciarte this offseason? Rob, I'll go to you first. Uh, it depends on how they do in spring training. Like, if Pache and, and Waters, especially if they continue to, to play really well this season, I don't think either of them, I, I'm pretty sure the Braves are going to do whatever they can to make sure neither of them, like, start the season or are clear favorites to win a, a, uh, outfield spot because, I mean, this is a playoff team. This is a potential World Series bound team and to have Two rookies already have their name penciled in in the outfield before a season starts. It's like a, that's a that's a huge no. So no, I don't think it's gonna happen. I think they're gonna do whatever they can to make sure that these guys stay in the minors for as you know, unless they they're like having like a one point four OPS, you know, like get me into the outfield right away. So I don't think their performance really has an impact on on Ender. Yeah, I, I, you know, he's already major league deal. He's going to be here next season. Duvall's a little up in the air, you know, if he, if he bounces back, cause he, he started off real well, then he's slowed down a whole lot. If he bounces back and proves value, there's a good chance that some major league teams just going to want to sign him to a major league contract. And, uh, yeah, he deserves that. I, I don't think that the Braves will re-sign him. I think he's most likely gone, but there's not a doubt in my mind that Ender's going to be on this roster next year. Matt, what about you, man? I think in the end, Ender is not here. I think he's going to end up starting somewhere else, and I think that Duval will be back. I think it will be in a reserve role where you could have a guy who offers some power and defense just as a reserve to mix in there with Riley. I think you'll see the Riley. You'll see Acuna. You might see Pache. You might also see somebody from the outside with... Maybe Duval, maybe Marcakis, maybe maybe Ender, which I think is probably the least likely. I think trading him, getting an asset back for him, which will help keep the farm stocked, because you do have to add some prospects. Maybe not a guy who's big league ready, but just add some extra talent in there. So that's what I would do, and I think is something that might happen, especially since Ender makes a decent amount of money. And a 
trade a vendor would free up some money to possibly throw in there at somebody else that might be a nice addition to the pitching staff because this team could definitely use another playoff-worthy starter. So my current thinking is that it's more likely that Ender than Duvall is on the roster, but that could change very quickly, and there's a few reasons for that. I am... I'm not sure if Donaldson and the Braves are going to be on the same page just in terms of an extension. I think the Braves would certainly be open to bringing him back. I think it's just how much money Donaldson would want versus what he would get on the and what he would get on the open market versus what what the Braves would be willing to pay him. Uh, I I would be all about extending him, but again, what what that dollar figure is is going to be something that I'm interested in because you do have Austin Riley who he definitely had a dip off and then he got injured, but you still like him a lot in a lot of ways, and that would put him in his natural position, and he already has a lot of major league at-bats. So it kind of lessens the pressure to extend him. The biggest issue is, one, whether or not the Braves are going to bring back Marcakis, and I'm skeptical that that would happen, especially with the injury, and that's just another year where he's just another year older, and the production before he, like at, like in the second half, his production had started tailing off again because that's Nick Marcakis, and that's what he does. I wouldn't be shocked if the Braves went after an outfielder this offseason, but I think that the, the money is going to be, I mean, Look, Garrett Cole and, and Anthony Rendon are both going to be on this free agent market. We think uh, haven't no no real talks, no real new talk of extensions have happened or anything like that. So, what happens with this group is going to be interesting as to kind of what the Braves are, how much are, the Braves are willing to play in that market. The problem that I have with retaining Duvall is that he needs to play regularly to have value because it doesn't seem like the reserve role is suiting him well at all. Um, when he was in a reserve role with the Braves last year, he kind of he really tailed off and then he kind of cratered. Then when he got called, he was then when he got regular playing time in Gwinnett, he was he was raking and at times really streaking uh, in terms of how well he was hitting. And then came up and was playing a lot when Marcakis got hurt, as well as Ender still on the injured list and was playing a lot and doing really well. Now his like playing time has kind of been a little funky. They've been giving time to Matt Joyce too. And with Ender coming back, that's kind of limited how much they've been playing. And he's kind of cooled off a bit. He hasn't looked terrible at the plate or anything, but he's definitely cooled off some. And I'm just not sure if that role that I think he would be good, he could be good in from just a purely what kind of guy he is perspective. I think that he would should be good in that role, but he just hasn't been, which makes me wonder if he ends up being like a non-tender candidate or something like that. And in the case of Enciarte... You know, it kind of gives you some time to, especially with service time considerations, it gives you some time to make some decisions with him, and it makes the decisions between Water and Pache. Because I think that in 2020, we will all, there will be, I don't think there's going to be a period of time in 2020 when the outfield is going to be Acuna, Waters, and Pache, unless there's like a, an injury somewhere. And that's, that's tougher. You know what I mean? That, that, you know, when you're talking about a team that has, you know, serious playoff aspirations, Garov's right. I mean, running out that outfield, Acuna is one of the best players in baseball, but then you're asking two rookies to really perform when you have a lot at stake, and that's asking a lot, especially for guys who have had questions with their strikeouts and with their hit tools in general. Uh, you don't necessarily want to put that kind of load on them, I don't think. Uh, but there's a lot of moving parts, right? Like it's a, there's just a lot of moving parts to. It's not just Duvall and NCRT. It's what happens with Donaldson. It's you know whether or not the, the, the Riley is the guy they want to put it at third base, and if he's not, and if they want to bring back Donaldson or even go after a Rendon, what do you do with Austin Riley? You know, there's a lot of moving parts as to kind of what the the roster is going to look like this offseason, and I don't think it's as simple as just those two, but if one addition or one decision is made, it can kind of create a domino effect where I could see one of those guys being gone 
And my guess is that it's Duvall, but there's, I mean, Matt's right. There's certainly arguments to trade Enciarte, particularly that you have a couple of guys who can play center field in the minors, plus Acuna who can play that, play that position, even if it's maybe not his ideal position right now. Uh, and you could get an asset back for him. So it's, 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 it's tougher than simply those two guys, uh, since there's just so many moving parts to it. Um, Robbie asked, if we had to solve the late inning defensive shortstop problem internally, who would you call up? Uh, Matt, I'll go to you first and Garav. I don't think there's anyone that I'd be extremely comfortable in calling up at this point. Probably the guy I'd feel most comfortable calling up defensively would be Graffinino, who is not playing right now and has not played basically the entire season. I feel like his glove would probably be the best, even though his hit tool would be significantly overmatched. But he'd at least play very strong defense at shortstop. If he's not available, I think really the only question is Riley Delgado or try to get somebody from another organization in some way. Get them released, get them DFA'd, or really can't be anyone else. Grav, what about you, man? This is a... Yeah, there, there's not too much to really like about option wise. Um, if I had to choose your, your, your really main option that I think that's like reasonable would probably be Pedro Florimon just because he's got major league experience. And you're not going to bring in someone like Graffinino or Riley Unroe or, you know, really unproven guys at a higher level. Like Florimon's been in the majors before. Uh, I don't necessarily believe in him defensively as short, so it's not really a, uh, it's not a true mix. Um, <laughs> your best, like, uh, if you're not going for him on your only other option is doing something like Matt said, and you have to find someone that's waived late that you just take a flyer on. There, it really is no higher level, uh, option that the Braves have right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the, what else could you do? Like, they're not going to move Albies back to short and then bring like that's just not going to happen. Like the only one I can think about is Florimon, and then then he's more of like a third baseman than he is a shortstop. So I don't. There is no real option internally. Andres Blanco is sort of an option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to have him. So here, so hear me out on this because a lot of people have actually asked me about this the last couple of days. Um. I don't think it's a to- it's it's definitely really crazy to do, but I don't think it's totally crazy. Is the idea of bringing up Ray Patrick Ditter the reason why is that in addition to playing short and he's looked good at short to me, and he also can he also can be like a utility role can play in the outfield. We loved him in the outfield when he was in in, in Rome, and as a guy as a pinch runner. You can, I can think of a few other guys on, on a roster that I think would be more exciting than him. So I could see that as a potentially still pretty crazy because again, this is not a guy that's exactly hit the cover off the ball this year, but looked better in the second half. Was already a guy that we were worried that we we're going to lose into the rule five draft anyway. Maybe he's a guy that you want to add to your 40 man roster and kind of give you some like utility and plan to play all over the field and be a leading defensive like shortstop replacement, you know, for Camargo or Culberson who have looked legitimately, well, Culberson's just looked kind of below average. Camargo has looked legitimately bad and he's looked bad in a lot of ways. So I, I understand what people's thoughts are. I mean, I've had people are like, you know, you know, Echeverria just got 
you know, released, you know, the Braves should pick him up. And I'm, you know, that's, there's not a lot of exciting options this time of year to go get to that can, uh, guys who are like gold first shortstops. I mean, maybe Paul Yanish is sitting in a cave somewhere where you can kind of bring him in and he's, his sole job is to catch balls in the eighth and ninth inning. But beyond that, I mean, it's tough because the triple A options aren't great. I mean, I like Ditter a lot, and he has a really interesting skill set, but there's definitely going to be some pitfalls with that with that particular plan. And then you're talking about a lot of guys who have little to no experience above high A. So the short answer to your question is there's not a lot of great options, although there might be a couple ones if, like, you squinted your eyes. You could maybe, like, say maybe it's a potential option. But then you get into problems with managing your 40-man roster. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So uh, the next one is from FSU Brad, who asks... Due to the lower first-round picks and international sanctions coming up, it feels as though the stock in the Braves farm system is on the cusp of a big dip. What are some things AA can do to, to maintain a top 10-ish farm system other than trading big league talent for prospects, of course? Okay, well, that's a pretty big ask, but we'll go ahead and go, we'll go ahead and go to Matt first and then, and then grow. <laughs> yeah, that's impossible to really do that. I mean, AA can draft well. He's able to trade to get some more international money. Any, well, getting July two guys can help the system, but those guys are so far away and such lottery tickets other than the top few guys that you're not really going to significantly improve the talent of the farm system with them at this point. Really, the only thing you can do is work the draft, which is one day a year and requires some luck. It would really require trading of major league talent or trading some of the higher level prospects that are not, are not currently in the major leagues for lower level prospects and just cycling that talent back downwards and trying to break up the level of where your talent is at at the current point to break it up by year. Garav, what about you, man? It's actually quite simple. Um, you have to be right on every single draft pick. <laughs> like there's, there's, there, there, like there really is no way. Uh, there's going to be a dip. It's, it's inevitable. It's just that's the reason why they put the sanctions on the Braves. They felt like they needed to have this kind of impact on their farm system, and they did. Uh, luckily, the Braves have done an extremely good job building up a young roster on the major league level where they can overcome something like this but you're gonna see we're not gonna have some prospects available for trade you know in a couple of years uh if we're trying to make another world series like a another move to make a world series run like it's gonna have an impact on that so you just you just gotta you gotta hit your draft picks and you know the the braves are gambling hard on this last draft um that the likes of langoliers and shoemake provide enough value at a major league level where you can fill in some gaps and not have to make those kinds of trades uh, in the future. And then on top of that, they're hoping that these high ceiling uh, high school players kind of play out so that at the, when they're ready to make that next move um, 
or when they're ready to to make an impact on the major league level that there's some turnover uh on the major league level so it's you know it's it's a tough situation that the Braves are in they're just gonna have to really hit the ball out of the park you know on in the draft and on top of that they're gonna have to be crafty in the international signing period next year and then they're just gonna have to end two years they're really gonna if they want to get really back into the swing of things they have to nail it in every single aspect so I don't see it coming um I think you're gonna see the Braves fall from the from top 10 to like a, a 15 to 17 and that's just that's what's gonna happen uh, it's unfortunate but like if they're able to prevent it from happening then serious kudos because I I couldn't do it in out uh, out of the park uh simulator so if they can do it in real life that's <laughs> that's just awesome yeah, so I think that the the last part of this question is one that I don't particularly like because I do think that there are going to be guys, whether it be major league ready pitchers or guys like you know like the aforementioned Duval slash Enciarte, et cetera, et cetera, guys who have a big league experience, um, or guys who are no longer prospects. I mean, think of guys like Tukey, think of other guys like that who could be moved for lottery ticket types. That if you hit on those, that helps a lot, um, and you know. At the end of the day, it just comes down to like your, your first and second round picks. Despite them being kind of lower in each of those rounds, you just have to you have to hit on them, or at least get some guys who are really interesting high ceiling types. Uh, I don't know if the Braves are going to continue with the, given where they would be picking if drafting the kind of the steady college performers, which is what they did this past draft. Whether that that strategy will really work particularly well where they'd be drafting, but it does. It's worth considering. Just because the, at least you'll hit, you'll get something of value out of those picks. Now that being said, the the biggest thing they could do honestly is in addition to drafting well, which you know so far they've been drafting well. I mean, you know, I've I've really enjoyed watching Lager Leers and Shoemake, and I think those guys can can very well be major leaguers, and that's you know ultimately the best thing that you can hope for is just make sure that you guys get the major leagues first, and then the rest is kind of up to them. Uh, but I think that if they can go after some real blue chip. Uh, like July 2nd guys that will make a big impact on the system because at least you get some guys in the lower minors who they'll be a ways away. I mean, those J2 guys are going to be 16 years old and you know, you're you're going to be waiting on them a while, but if you can get some guys who are exciting and have some real upside and, you know, very similar to what the Braves were setting up beforehand and not necessarily go for a bunch of quantity and going for some quality guys, that can get you into a top 10 conversation. Uh, I actually, I'm not sure exactly when this dip's going to happen is worth noting simply because, you know, there, there's definitely a bit of a, a little bit of a log jam where you're, uh, there's not like a bunch of guys. It's not like the Brazier guys have like six rookies on their roster next year. There's definitely going to be some guys holding down some minor league spots who could be major leaguers on some other teams. And there's going to be some like roster movement around and some trades happening just to kind of make things work, which could change things quite a bit. But, you know, just, just completely discounting the idea that big league talent, you know, we can't trade big league talent for prospects. I think some of that's going to happen. That's just going to be kind of paring down based on need and all that stuff. Um, one last question before we go. And this is from Patrick. And he said, I have a question for the pod. Are you guys encouraged by how Freddie Tarnock has looked since coming off the injured list? Matt, I'm going to go to you first, then Groff. Yeah, I mean, you can't really judge as much as you'd like because where he's pitching you're not getting such a chance to actually see him and there just aren't that many reports out there about him this year because of where he's at so with 
Florida specifically, you kind of have to go by scouting the box score more than you'd like, more than any other level in all of the minor leagues, other than the GCL and Arizona League, and of course the Dominican Summer League. So you're kind of at the mercy of the box score, and the box scores have looked better for him, so it's definitely a promising sign. I think as the weeks go by and the season ends, you might start to get a little bit more information that starts to really emerge on how certain players have looked, and you can get a little bit more of a judgment at that point. But the fact that he's looked better is encouraging. Gaurav, what about you, man? Yeah, because he's in Florida, you really, you don't, you never get to watch him. Uh, we, we, I think we all knew coming into the season, Tarnock, you know, he was, he was great last year. Uh, really, really surprisingly great last year. You, you figured this year would be another step in trying to develop him into a starting pitcher. It's going to take a ton of time because he's super raw. Don't get, like, I, I, it's encouraging to to watch him make change or to to see how he's doing when he when he when he's come back. But I really don't I don't really care about his numbers for at least like two more years, just because it's going to take a long time for him. And um, I, I mean, I wish I, I wish I had more to say on on this topic because I do love him as a prospect. But just don't don't really look into anything. Don't read too much into anything for at least you know. At least two years would probably be my time. I don't know about you guys, but I just let him let him do his thing, let him learn, let him let him condition his body more, uh, and then come you know twenty twenty one, maybe maybe mid season twenty twenty and in twenty end of twenty twenty is when I'll really start to look at him as like let's 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 evaluate him as like an actual pitcher instead of a guy that's throwing the ball to a catcher, if that if that makes sense at all. Well, it makes sense. I mean, he's not a guy that's going to be, like, factoring in the plans right away, but he's also a guy that I know that the Braves have thought that if once he figures things out and, you know, hopefully he figures things out, he's a guy that can climb prospect rankings and kind of factor himself in the plans really quickly. Um, the thing that I'm happy happiest about, honestly, is that he missed basically the entire month of June, right, with an injury. Since he's gotten back in those eight appearances that he has made, he has one appearance where he's walked more than one batter. And that's a big thing for him because he used to walk, he was walking a lot of guys, never really had command of his stuff. And it's, I mean, it's big time stuff. It's a, it's a high, it's a high octane fastball. The breaker has really good shape and has some bite to it. This wasn't really commanding either of those pitches. And it seems like he's throwing more strikes now. And we're starting to see the, the strikeouts creep up a bit. I mean, both Matt and Garava are right. We just can't get good looks at him right now uh, because, you know, scouting I mean, going on a scouting trip to Florida, well, all I've learned from that is that it's a recipe for disappointment because it rains every day there. But, you know, and it's worth being suspicious of good numbers from the Florida State League because it's a very pitcher-friendly league. I'm curious as to what they do with Freddie just because, you know, again, he did miss some time, and he is a younger guy. I don't know if they push him to double A next year or not, at least to start. And I'm curious as to what, because I mean, what last year the thing that was the most exciting thing about him was that he was like striking out better than a batter in an inning. Now it's kind of like that, that, that part of his game has regressed a bit as he's been kind of learning what he wants to do and, you know, his, his early season struggles. But now we're seeing him striking out more batters again. If he finishes the season strong, I don't think it's a crazy notion that he ends up in double A, but it's not a given. And he's a guy that, the short answer to the question is yes. Very happy with that with, with the developments. 
uh, it's hard to draw too many conclusions just because we don't know exactly like what the fastball velocity looked like and what his and the movement on either of his pitches, like what it really looks like at this moment in time coming back from the injury. But once we can get a better look at him, it will give us a better sense of it. But the short answer is yes. I mean, these are the, the, the last month or so of performances, uh, except for one, uh, at the very beginning of August that wasn't particularly good. He's looked really good beyond that. And he seems like he's kind of pitching later in the games as well, which is again, another good thing because he, he really wasn't doing that early in the season. I'm not sure if that was injury related or just because he wasn't pitch, pitching particularly well, but hopefully that kind of gives you some ideas. It's something we're certainly keeping an eye on and he's definitely a top 30 guy, but after that, it's just kind of, wait and see because the, that rawness that we have always noted about him that we kind of hope he was going to take that step this year just hasn't, you know, at, at this moment in time, we don't think we have, and I haven't heard anything differently that he hasn't really shed a lot of that quite yet. Uh, it's getting better. And this is a guy that has like the, the body and the, the overall stuff that once he can harness it, it could be a, like he could end up being a big leaguer. Uh, there's definitely some reliever risk with him too, but again, a guy that we, we like a lot still. Well, that's all the time we have for this this week, guys. We greatly appreciate all the support. If you do want to support the podcast and those who have been bringing it to you each and every week, the best way you can do that is to go to our Patreon. Uh, you can just go to our Twitter account at Road the Number Two Atlanta, and the pin tweet at the very top of that page is our Patreon page. If you want to support the podcast, whether it be five dollars a month or more than that, that's the easiest place to do it. Just go there, and then you click on one of the links, and it'll tell you, you know, how much you want to contribute monthly. And we use that to kind of allow us to go on trips and allow us to continue to expand the podcast, and you know, allow us to keep bringing it to you each week because we really love doing it. And there's definitely, and we, we've had some folks reaching out and have been supporting us. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, don't feel obligated if you do not don- donate to the podcast. The podcast is not in danger of just going away forever. But if you do want to support the podcast, that's the easiest place to do it. Also, if you want to um, make sure you follow that Twitter account at Road the Number Two Atlanta because you'll find out when new new episodes are posted. And this, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, make sure you don't miss an episode. You don't the old SoundCloud uh, Road to Atlanta feed isn't around anymore. The way you get new po- episodes, you know, on whatever whether it be Stitcher, iTunes, whatever. The way you do that is you subscribe to the Talking Chop feed. Not only does that give you this podcast where you can learn about all your minor league stuff, but it also gives you the Talking Chop podcast where Brad is doing a really good job over there. I'm on that podcast every once in a while. I know Grov's been on it. Uh, Matt's been on it too. And it's all, it's a lot of fun. You know, two podcasts for one. It's pretty easy. If you, if you like us and maybe don't want to listen to the major league stuff or vice versa, you know, it's a really easy solution because you can kind of get whatever you want it whenever you want it. So thank you again so much. We greatly appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening each week. The numbers this year, since we've come back have been really awesome, and it's been really a lot of fun being back. Uh, Garrett couldn't make it on this week. We had to record a little earlier, and as a result, he couldn't get off work in time. But I imagine that Garrett, it's very likely that Garrett will be back next week. We'll have to kind of figure out exactly when we're going to be recording. But other than that, thanks again, guys. We'll see you on the road.